0: Hey everyone, it's me, Carl. So, first of all, mazel to Eitan. Eitan was successfully married this past weekend, which means that I forgot to edit and publish this episode. So, this episode was recorded about two weeks ago, it was in Mexico, Aton was getting married, forgot, Mia culpa, we'll be back at you next week, enjoy. Welcome to Stuck in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Carl, and with me, as always, is ton. Hello. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm really earning the weekend and a half off that I'm about to have. Work has just been a long, it's been a long quarter. Mm. And I mean, in terms of the last three months, not the actual fiscal quarter, so... I'm looking forward to a vacation and a break, and most importantly, I'm looking forward to going to your hometown of Mexico City for your wedding. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, what a great week and a half uh, you're taking. I feel very blessed yes, Very that you decided to spend uh, your week and a half off uh, with me <laughs> in Mexico City, celebrating.
0: Well, I, I will say uh, Thanksgiving is not my favorite holiday. It's fine. I mean, who doesn't like eating and hanging out, but excited to do something a little bit more exciting, even if it does mean sacrificing some family time. So it's all good. And instead get to put in some good friend time.
1: Yeah, no, very exciting. So yeah, I should be asking you as uh, my fellow co-host who already went through this of getting married while hosting
0: a co-host podcast. Any tips? Yeah. So the tip I give everyone, which doesn't really apply in your case, but can apply selective it's your choice but typically in an american-style wedding you have some sort of bridal party Mm -hmm. where you have groomsmen and you have they attend to you during the weekend and what i always tell people is during the weekend you and by you i mean the bride or the groom you are the ceo of your wedding you are like this. The Michael Eisner. Not. Maybe a little less micromanaging involved <sighs> than Michael Eisner. Fine. I'm talking about a really good CEO where you've hired great lieutenants, You have great relationships. You have great processes in place and you just need to let everything execute. And you are there to make big, important game time decisions, respond to crisis, and frankly, enjoy being the CEO of your company. So let other people do the work. Other people want to do work for you. And just trust the fact that everything's not going to go smoothly, but you should have all the right people and processes in place, which even though you don't have a traditional from an American perspective wedding party, you do have lots of people around you that are willing to help. And you also have you know an entire staff of venue, caterers, whatever. Like everything will get taken care of. You don't need to stress yourself with Making sure everything's perfect yourself.
1: That's good. That's a great tip. I relate to Ariel as well. Now that you use the plural "you," yeah. the
0: non-confusing "you" that can be singular or plural in English. That's true. I appreciate. Sure. Un- unfortunately, I would I would say this this will help you enjoy and remember your wedding a little bit better. But I think it's honestly pretty much impossible to remember your wedding in great detail. It goes by very quickly. Fair, but it should be a great time.
1: Yeah i'm excited to celebrate um this week i guess we said last week after we finished the draft that we would check in every week with how we're doing but of course there hasn't been any awards this week so we know some of you tuned in just to see how we were doing no updates yet
0: no updates but if, i i don't know what is the first round of updates I'm assuming there's some critics' awards that come out by the end of the year. Yeah, probably something like that. Cool. Uh, I have a feeling that it's going to be just game time until the, uh, or whatever awards is last. It'd be great if it lasts until the, the WGA awards, and that's, we're waiting with bated breath to see who wins.
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be some, some space between those two, unfortunately. <laughs> They're going to make us wait. But I mean, me Kevin might be so far ahead by then that we don't even have to
0: wait. I'm not hope, hoping for that but yeah. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I was actually potentially going to suggest a a wager for the the three of us, more like the two of us versus Kevin, but once Kevin, you know, ended up with that draft, I decided not to. Yeah, well done. I think it was a good decision. Yeah. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: I guess speaking of things that change that you thought were going to happen and then changed last minute. That was flawless. Uh, the topic that has been doing the rounds and that's probably taking the majority of attention in Entertainment this week has been uh, Warner Brothers Discovery decision and then cancellation of the decision to shelf Coyote versus Acme before it came out. And before we go through that, just to give some context to, to the listeners, Coyote versus Acme was going to be, yes, a movie about the roadrunners Coyote, and I remember you and I talked about this, like, last year, back in episode, like, 25 or something, because, let's see if you remember, I don't remember, this is not our, I'm not trying to get you, we were looking at someone's, like, Movie page, a writer, a director, a something. And then you were like, oh, did you know that this person is... Mm." Coyote
0: vs. Agami. Do you know who
1: this person is? Do you remember? I don't
0: remember. I have no idea. Uh, Maybe it would have been related to James Gunn. I can see... Maybe. Us talking about his impending ascension or at that point pending ascension to warner brothers executive status which he's now at but yeah that's it they're... you got it right james it?
1: james gone was story and producer but i just i remember i'm trying to find it but it's not oh yeah so i remember you uh, these 12 months ago being like, did you know that James Gunn is producing a movie called Acme versus Coyote vs. Versus Acme? And let me read you the premise. And then you said, after all of the products made by Acme Corporation backfire on Willie Coyote in his pursuit of the roadrunner, he hires an equally unlucky human attorney to sue the company. When Will E, when Will E's lawyer finds out that his former law firm's intimidating boss is Acme's CEO, he teams up with Willie E to win the court case against him. And I remember us thinking, like, this sounds so crazy. And then we learned that it was half. What was the, what was the official name for half animation, half live action?
0: Hybrid? Hybrid, I, I guess. Don't
1: know. And then us being like, oh, it's so difficult to match up to, you know, the standard set by Roger Rabbit or some of these other movies. And just being like, what an insane thing. We wonder what's going to happen. And then lo and behold, two weeks ago, we hear that, or last week, right? We hear that Granite Discovery decided to not release it, take a $30 million write-off, and just put it in a drawer. We
0: checked in, or we didn't have a chance to really check in with the SAG strike being over last week because of our previously scheduled entertainment of our draft. But within hours of recording that episode, which came out within the day of the SAG After Strike ending is when they announced this decision. Like, for some reason, they had been waiting for this as... Uh, I don't I don't even know why the, the timing was what it was. Maybe they were hoping that it would just completely go under the radar unnoticed as a news dump. But yeah, they it's a $70 million budget film. More or less fully completed, fully scored, full effects... That's relevant because we actually got to see FX reels and clips from the scoring session from the composer, but they did the Batgirl thing of surprise. We're not releasing your movie and we're going to take a $30 million tax write-off instead.
1: Woohoo. Yeah. And I think to your point, it started coming out very quickly that not only that, but that they were, the screeners were doing very well, that the reaction was being uh, very positive positive. Again, who knows, right? We don't know. Uh, and basically everyone for every corner of the creative world came out in defense of this movie. And maybe it's some of what you mentioned, which is the ending of the strike also galvanized kind of these creative forces, actors, writers, animators, whatever, the studios, and then something like this happens. And I'm curious where... like. Where did you land on it? And I'm happy to walk you through how it came for me, Because for me, it was like, oh, this is so sad. Because from everything that everyone is saying, again, Encanto Paradox, like, this was probably going to do okay. Uh, John Cena, some of these versions, like $30 million write-off just means just make that amount. Because they're not taking a whole write-off. You know, and then it was like, oh, Evaritan, you know, you are a very... uh, advanced business school student who thinks about this as business and if the right business season was this like why are we not holding you know the same standard every other decision by every other company to just kill a project that was not going to make any money right is this a SOSCOM fallacy when you have to probably you know not let your feelings for something guide you and i think where i landed was that i understand why this is considered different right we're This is a business where there is this very fragile relationship between studios and the artists and the creative side. And a lot of these, all of the creative side, depends their livelihood of continuing to get a job and continue to making a name for themselves. It's not tied to a specific studio, most of them, unless you're Disney Animation, which is unionized. And you depend on good projects that you work on making it out in the world so that you can continue to build your resume and say, this is what I've done. And that is something that is a little bit different from other places, right? Where it does, it does need to get into the public for it to matter to the people that worked on it. It's not only about this paycheck that they did get for whatever they did. And I just thought it was an interesting process that I went through. So I was curious also, how did it land for you? How do you think about this?
0: I it's so I mean maybe this is why I'm not in the entertainment business but it's so hard for me not to be empathetic to that and the fact that this is a collaborative medium that costs a lot of money to and that most people cannot self-finance a project of this size or acquire all the people and materials to execute on a project if it's of the size at the same time I do see what you're saying and if this was you know a capital expansion at a power plant or something, I would probably not bat any eyes at it. I just... It it feeds into what we always talk about with Hollywood, that it's a union town and that the social dynamics and strategy beyond market dynamics are different. Mm -hmm. Where you are ultimately making art, ostensibly. You are creating a product that is a gamble and a risk and always is. And ultimately, if everyone did this every time there was a project that they were a little iffy on, then that reduces the entropy of the market of sometimes things are just going to hit, especially something like a, I mean, this is a low budget thing, but like a paranormal activity. Like some horror movies are just cult hits, either immediately or eventually, and if you don't even let them have the opportunity to exist, then you can remove the thing that makes Hollywood magical and, and audience reactions magical. And I would have less heartburn with something like the removal of content from Max after it's had a chance to prove itself, as opposed to just immediately we're going to, you know, save $30 million from our tax bill for our Barbie receipts or something.
1: Yeah. And then also where I landed towards the end is like, there is also a point where whatever Brothers Discovery is playing with fire because, you know, in, in tech, in the world that you and I operate, a lot of something that we really think about is, um, you know, let's say, yeah, the CapEx that, that you get, but even, let's say CAC, right? The famous customer acquisition cost. Mm-hmm. The... Creative talent needed to do these movies is not a customer, right? They're not a customer. They're not the end-up users that are paying for the, uh, to see the movie and are making revenue. But because of the dynamics of the business, the studios need to build goodwill with this type of talent for, for them to return to them and work over and over again. And this was the kind of the... It wasn't the third movie, but it was kind of the third biggest cancellation after bad girl and well not the third biggest the third big cancellation and the scooby-doo haunt something i don't remember how it's called and it feels like also just the tension going to the point that if i was in david saslav's shoes and all of his team there is a perspective on this of okay what's the impact that this has in our ability to continue to get very high talent and even if at worst you think about it as okay this is 30 million as just purely customer acquisition cost of goodwill. Like, we're going to put it out and we're going to eat the 30 million just so that people can continue to see us in a good light. Even like that, it doesn't seem that crazy. But again, it's going to make money. It was going to make money. And then they could put it in Max, could then they could anyway do any accounting they wanted to say whatever. So, yeah, it just seemed weird all around.
0: One second. I am doing some quick math Ooh, here. Uh, I know. Love it when we have math here. So if if I'm thinking about this in the correct way, um so let's assume a 30% effective tax rate, which is probably high for considering all the other write-offs they have, especially for other content this year. But isn't
1: the corporate tax now 20% in the U.S.? Is it 20 Yeah, I think it went down to 20. Or 15. Okay. Well, put 20. Let's be conservative. I'm not up to date in my corporate tax rates. Cool. Okay. We're, we'll, we'll say 20. So, so they would save 6 million? They're booking a loss of 30.
0: So their revenue goes down by... Their, their revenue goes down by 30. It's not that they're taking a $30 million it is,
1: it is, tax break. It is. You are right in the sense that the way they phrased it is weird because you don't know which one it is but for yes. them to take a 30 million tax break it would have meant that their loss was 600. no sorry if it's 20 percent, right. it's uh one by five 15 150 million which is not it was 70. so even if they were writing off yeah. everything it will be 70 and then 20 percent will be 14. but you're right that their language of their taking a tax break is like wait is the break 30 Or are you taking a loss of 30 that then would convert to 6 million? And it wasn't clear with the language that they used. But I don't see how it's the other way around because it wasn't that
0: expensive. Okay. So they're getting $6 million out of deaths. is what we're yeah. Then uh, their budget was 70 million. Let's assume 35 for marketing. So that's a total of 105. So, assuming that they get 50% of box office back, in order to make $6 million, they would have to... I mean, then you have taxes, but whatever. In order to make $6 million in pre-tax, office. they'd have to take on $222,000 of box office. Excluding... Which does not... S- excluding any revenue that they wanted to recognize after it's on, on Max. Right, exactly. Or license it to Netflix.
1: Just give it to Netflix.
0: Anyway, ugh. 222 at the box office seems completely reasonable for a global box office for a, like, family film, right? Much less with streaming rights. Yeah, I, I just... It seems like a lot of headache and a lot of emotional trauma for people just to save $6 million.
1: Yeah, so what's happened since is that the outcry has been so high that... They didn't completely reverse uh, their decision. But now they say that they are willing to sell it. So they are having screeners with Amazon, with Netflix, with Apple. People were saying that Amazon is probably a good potential option because they're known for doing these types of deals. And they have three John Cena movies coming up in the next 24 months. So this would be the fourth. They they seem to have a relationship with him. Uh, Good for him. But honestly... Isn't the best decision to just completely cancel the decision and just release it yourself? This seems to have been like great marketing. Now, part of me is like, well, if they release it, people might boycott them. But I feel like people might be more likely to support the artists to show the studio. Like, hey, look, of course you should have released this. Oh, and the other reason why Amazon was doing it is because Amazon, they were saying, it's very likely that they would actually release it in movies as well.
0: So that makes sense. That would be, be crazy. So, yeah, and they're the distributor, so Warner would still get something, right? Like, they're not fully buying I, the, the film because the IP is things, owned by Warner. Things Brothers? were moving quickly,
1: but in the first versions of these conversations that we're having, they were saying it was not a distribution deal. It was a get it of our hands. An acquisition deal. Yeah. I don't know if now they're just in such
0: hot, hot water then. I mean, I, I I wouldn't put it past Amazon for just trying to acquire the Looney Tunes in the Hanna Barbera co- cartoons, which Warner Brothers seems loath to own at this point, since Space Jam did not define a new legacy. But that's just that's just so strange. That that that's kind of like the next level of the why can't I stream Warner Brothers films on Warner Brothers platforms? Exactly right. Um. So the original release date, I was trying to see what the original release date, they have not announced a new release date or had not before it got canceled. The original one was actually the Barbie release date. Mm -hmm. So that's all we know. Because I was curious where it fit into the schedule, both in terms of their financial planning or if they had bumped something up to take the slot that was previously held by it already, but no. Okay. Not yet. We don't have much data about it. Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep Not everyone yet.
1: posted. This one is an interesting one. Totally. Um,
0: but overall, just disappointing. But I'm really impressed to see how many people rallied around it. It's I mean, part of it is it seems to actually have a lot of goodwill from people that have seen it or people in the industry, whether it's an animation nerd or a comedy nerd. Or anybody else who's tweeting about it and posting about it. But that all said, it was pretty nice to see a lot of people stepping up and talking about how bad of a situation this was for the creators. I do wonder if that's people feeling empowered by the strikes and the outcomes of the strikes, or if that's this is the third time this has happened and it's a raw deal and people don't want it to happen anymore. But I I am curious about what the sociological ramifications are there. Yeah,
1: plus one. I share that. We'll see. Um, your topic we wanted to quickly touch on, you mentioned it as part of the Coyote Versus Acme, but it's the fact that the Sagaftra uh,
0: strike is over. It is. Which I think most immediately for us so this is this is funny because I think early on, or I know early on of the strike, you and I were, like, okay, everyone keeps talking about how actors can't promote films. What does that actually end up meaning, or why do we care about that? Mm-hmm. Something that's played out is honestly, I had no idea like what an impact to a award season that could have. I think we touched on the fact that Bradley Cooper couldn't really promote maestro at all which disadvantages him extremely in the oscar race and other races because he is the writer director and star of that film and unfortunately because he is the star of the film he can't promote the film that he made so i think compared to almost everyone else this award season he was uniquely hurt in every way by that as opposed to other people like the uh, emma stones of the world who couldn't get out and Promote their film. It's been
1: fun to see how people come out. Did you see how? I feel like they have Alison Brie, like just holding the door because it feels like she's been out on everything with Captain Marvel, trying to get it I was- to Alison Brie, uh, Brie Larson. Wow, the cheese I was like the that? <laughs> no, Alison Brie was in this other one that is got a, like a zero percent in Rotten Tomato. Also with John Cena. Oh boy. With something about the freelancer or something. But no, Brie Larson, sorry. With Marvel's which It's kind of sad. Wait, I mean, I haven't watched it but I like Captain Marvel and Ariel and I were trying to catch up on Ms. Marvel on Disney Plus in order to see this one. And Ms. Marvel okay. is quite good. It's a very fresh color character. The actress is great. The production is full of uh, I don't know It's good So I wanted to see more of her But I guess I'll catch it after the wedding
0: I read a little bit of Ms. Marvel When the run first started And liked it I did not watch the show And probably don't plan to I almost saw The Marvels on opening night last Friday oh. Because I ended up having a free evening But was too tired like seemingly much of America, because it is the worst Marvel opening weekend of all time, or actually counting uh, worst after the original Incredible Hulk film, which is the first one. That's the
1: first MCU movie, right? Because there are two Hulks. <sighs> I and think I never know which one it is. I
0: th- yeah, I think tech maybe I think that is the first one. So, it certainly is the second Hulk film. I quite like Ang Lee's Hulk, mm. even though it's a, a, I understand why people don't like it, because it's a bizarre meditation on um, I don't know, generational trauma and fatherhood. Yes. <laughs> it's real good, though. So, so okay. It, Incredible Hulk is barely the second film. It was June 08. Iron Man was May 08, which, that's how they close together. Uh, I do want to jump back to the, the SAG strike before we go into box office. Oh, yeah, this we, was... We have a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah, no, this was but... part of the
1: strike in terms of, like, she just came out very quickly to do a lot of press, because now she was allowed to.
0: Right, and I'm sure that uh, Bob Iger can find a way to blame the actors for it doing poorly, Aww. even though it's a part of a broader trend. Yeah. Uh, so, still, like, the the overall deals for, for sag after is still kind of up in the air. They did get some streaming concessions, including a per subscriber concession. So that's how they are, uh, that's how they're rectifying the fact that residuals are so low. I think it's like 1% of earnings plus a subscriber payment is what has been floated. There is now consent requirements for AI and for background actors, which is good. I think that was the big sticking point in the public consciousness, even though I think the residuals were actually much more of the day to day importance for most actors.
1: Yeah. Was there anything else interesting that came out in terms of the type of information that streaming services will have to release to Sagaftra that might make it to the public? Like, are they, how are they counting? Like, you, you, know, you mentioned the per subscriber. Does that. Um,
0: I have not seen anything. Okay. Do you know? No, 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 no. But I think, I think, no, no.
1: I, I was gonna say that it's probably connected to what you were saying that the official, you know, a hundred percent clear contract is not out yet. But just like we, you and I, love discovery because of court cases, we're also hoping that some of that
0: juicy, exciting information comes
1: out as part of this.
0: I I hope so, and I would love to actually see real streaming numbers and. I'd really love to see retroactive streaming numbers. Let's see how big of a hit Bird Box really was.
1: Do you think there might be something like that? That, For example, if I'm an actor that comes, that Netflix says, hey, this is how the type of contract that we're going to give you under the new union agreement, you, know, you get X amount of um, royalties per subscriber or per view. I imagine they have to show some comps like, if you're an actor or a director, you're probably also like, okay, but am I going to get 10 million streams? 100 million streams? A billion streams? And maybe they have to show, oh, well, Bird Box did this. That could be the way.
0: Well, I'm I'm also curious. I'm, I'm assuming that Retroactive won't be released in a concrete way, maybe a hand way, because if we operate under the assumption that... All these streamers were inflating their numbers which i think is a fair assumption or even they just didn't have standardization across streamers which we know is true like what counts as a view what counts as something that they're going to pay out a residual on but if retroactively those numbers are released that opens everyone up to a whole host of lawsuits whether that's you know anything from individual actors suing over money they feel they're owed up to SEC violations for misleading investors. There's a lot of interesting stuff that could come out of that.
1: Very much so. Um, all in the sake of information. And it's, and we've talked about this. I think it was a couple of months ago when we were talking about um, with things going to Avoth, there's also just going to be a lot of trickles of information that other parts of the ecosystems are going to have. And I do wonder if, in the push of differentiation, if some of it ends up coming through something like this, right? Where it's like, oh, David Feature had a new, you know, speaking of David Feature, um, he has a new movie coming on. And we now learn that he chose this streamer versus the other because the amount of money that they would get based on the streaming service uh, performance would be higher. And then at, at worst, we, there is more opportunity for this type of information to to start spreading and to also help make better decisions, right? There was a, such an information asymmetry between the folks that knew how things were doing and the ones who didn't. And now that some of the metrics and the compensation is going to be based on
0: that, it just has to be more open. I mean, that goes back to the Coyote versus Acme discussion where ultimately... People are free agents that can choose to work with whatever studio, give or take over overall deals. But even then you can still walk away from those. You're not bound for life. Like you used to be in the studio system. And with that, like the running theme with coyote versus acne is why as a filmmaker, would you choose to work for Warner brothers? If you have other options, we've seen that play out with Christopher Nolan. Uh, I think we quietly have seen that play out. We're seeing that play out with Bradley Cooper. Who mm-hmm. Did a lot of producing for them and working with them over the years. And on one hand, I they did Warner did say they were going to pay out some of the streaming bonuses for some of the creators that had comp tied to streaming performance. On the other hand, a lot of people still were not going to get the residuals that they hoped for, or even the satisfaction of their movie being out there as a calling card. So one way that they could rectify that is okay if you release a movie on HBO, one will be more transparent with you about yeah. what the performance is, but two, maybe we'll have we'll pay you more. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I think David Zaslav's on a race to the bottom to pay as little as possible for everything. But whatever the next regime is at Warner, which could be, I don't know, chicken soup for the soul entertainment. <laughs> you know, they've got a, a streaming division. Maybe they'll buy it. Maybe, maybe they'll change their team.
1: Yeah. I was reading a little bit more on like the the writers' one, their deal. And I think they did something smart that maybe the actors did as well, where, where these types of royalties based on variable performance kicked in at a certain level. So it's almost like, yeah, we're paying you anyway what we told you we were going to pay you, regardless of the performance. And then if it gets to a certain level of views, then some of this kicks in. And that was trying to make up something similar to residuals in the sense of, like, not every show has syndication, right? Not every show on TV ended up getting residuals. And that doesn't mean that every show in streaming should get residuals because there is this kind of base pay that should cover something and the way they landed, which I think makes sense because then it captures, it it ends up telling... The, the writer's like, yeah, if you're working on a show that you think is going to do very well up front, you should get a higher base pay, right? But if you end up working on something that maybe wasn't going to be as much, but then it ends up being high, you should also benefit from that performance. So I wonder if the actors ended up doing something similar. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, it's so funny. So we had this happened and then wga ended a few months ago and i'm sure it's very frustrating for the actual members that they don't have this detail either yeah but for us it's like yeah we got to talk about this we got to report on it and then we both look into it and uh okay it's actually not really much of public record yet and maybe might not ever be (laughs) yeah uh yeah wow uh do you
1: have anything else on the strike
0: I do not. You want to talk
1: about what we've been watching? Yeah. And then I had a phone AUA for you. So, last week during the draft, you mentioned how you liked the holdovers and how it felt like a warm hug, I believe, is the words you used. So, Ariel and I went to mm-hmm. see it and we bought tickets like Friday morning for like a Friday evening screening. And it was like half full on the day of the premiere. We got there, sold out. It was very exciting. It wasn't a very big screen, but it ended up being sold out. We really, really liked it. It is definitely a warm. It's it's it feels like an adult warm hog in the sense of like you could it's it could be easy to be cynical and say, Oh, you know, they're just pulling on the heartstrings. It's like very obvious. But at the same time, some of the things are not that direct. And it just felt yeah. I don't know i really liked it like you mentioned last week the performances are great um it was fun that it's a boston movie and when they go to boston you could hear people talking like you know like oh that is that place or that is this place and that's always fun Uh, uh, it's difficult for me to not look at paul giamatti and not put him in his billions character because he's doing so for so long And there is definitely parts of this character that are very similar in terms of like when he quotes you know, a Greek philosopher from 2,000 years ago or he goes in a monologue. In Billions he does it to explain why a crime is bad and he just does it to explain why kids shouldn't be entitled. Uh, But it was super fun and it made me feel even better about my pick for them for uh, this movie. Not for this movie, just in the draft. Um, The one thing that was interesting that I wanted to take Get your takeaway is that like one hour in, it feels like the movie just changes in tone, right? Like mm-hmm. the second the rest of the kids leave and it's only them, it feels like a different movie. Spoilers. Yeah, it's fine. This is not even, it's in, it's in the trailer.
0: I mean, it's pretty obvious that like, it's in the trailer. There's only three characters that matter in the, the trailer and in the poster. Yes. Yeah. And I was wondering if
1: you felt the same. Or have that come up? Yeah, you... it, it,
0: it changes in a couple of ways. It changes... I mean, it becomes a road trip movie for a little bit. But it also just really hones in on these characters. And I, and I think it's just a really effective way of... When you're watching the, the film, you feel like you're investing in all of these characters simultaneously, which is great. And I, I think the that Payne does a really great job of balancing everyone in that first act. But I do really love being able to drill down and spend more time with those three. Uh, I think to kind of your overall point about this feeling like an adult warm hug, I think so much of that is just Payne being a wonderful, brilliant writer and everything is just seeped with, with meaning. He's, he's really good at, I think laying groundwork emotionally, even just within a, a scene, something that, that I think about, or something I was really struck by, was um, there's the the cook character, Mary Lamb, played by Divine Joy Randolph. She's one of the, the, the core trio mm-hmm. that they follow in the film. Uh, her character backstory, revealed the second you meet her, yeah. is that her son recently died in Vietnam. He was drafted. And that is all revealed in a way that I think just shows his pain's brilliance because it's this montage of this beautiful old, uh, this old chapel at this boarding school. And they're they're flashing to all of the interred students who died in in older wars. And then it, it cuts from these these uh, grave markers with very waspy names (laughs) to a framed portrait of a young black man in uniform. And that does a couple of things right off the bat. It one establishes race and ultimately class dynamics in the, the scene and in the film of, okay, well, the, all these white kids got to be interred in the chapel and this kid didn't, but you're not sure why. But it's like, okay, of course, classic, though the white kids get this and this kid doesn't. But then it also even more is even more resonant because you realize, oh, okay, well, maybe he's not interred here because he just recently died. We find that out very quickly. And you also find out reasons as to why he went to war that maybe some of those other kids who are interred in the chapel didn't necessarily have to bear. So just everything is so loaded with meaning, and there's so many layers to to his writing, just here and elsewhere, that I I just think that's what really makes this a special film. It's not that it's just an enjoyable, fun romp for adults. Mm -hmm. It's also that everything has just a little bit of emotional seasoning on top that makes it have a lot of depth beyond what is being said. I love having a podcast with you
1: because it's so nice to hear you talk about movies like that. You have an eye for Thank that. Um, the I wanted to mention, you talked about last week also about how Dominic Cessa, who is the 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 actor that plays... What's the name of the character you, you said? Uh, Angus. Angus um, Telly. That character... Angus, Tony. Angus Yes. And how you mentioned that he was like... You were like, where did he come from? I found, and I'm sure there is like an in-depth Rolling Stone profile in the books with him, but I'm sure so. So apparently the movie was filmed on five different schools, like high school and universities in the new England area. And he was a student in one of them. So I'm very curious if it literally was something like that, because he, the the filming for this movie was January, 2022. And he graduated in June, 2022. So he was still a student. What a career he has ahead of him. That was so good. He's so great. And it's gonna be a use original screenplay. Yes, I hope they submit the the scene when they go to the liquor store. And he's like, "You went to Harvard, you left Harvard." Oh yeah, I had a disagreement. What disagreement? Oh, he think. What happened? You hit him. You hit him with my car, with your car, and he just like keeps going up and going up. And then the the store seller just says, "Here you go, killer." Just great, 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 great scene.
0: Um. I mean that's the thing, is it's just a joy to listen to the dialogue and watch these three perform it. And uh have you have you seen Sideways? No. I know that's the first you time right watch sideways that Paul and yeah, at and Alexander work together. It's excellent. It's similarly similarly adult, but also light in ways. Exactly. And that's that is the performance that sold me on Giamatti for life, honestly. I'm gonna add it to my list.
1: Um, the other thing I watched, but I do want to talk about it with you when you watch it, is The Killer. Have you watched it? I have. What did you think? I'm happy to go after you.
0: It's... So, Kevin said it nicely, which is that it's bottom-tier Fincher, which means it's in the top tier of films ever made, probably. Like, it's a very compellingly made action film. The The movie it reminds me the most of is Haywire, the Soderbergh film, mm-hmm. where it feels like, okay, that, I, that was a fine movie, well made, but I know you can do better, and I know you can even do better in this genre with what you're doing. And I didn't find a lot of emotionally interesting resonance in that film, but... It looks great. It's funny. I'm sure it's funnier every time you watch it. Mm-hmm. And there are some sequences in there that nobody but David Fincher could have pulled off the way he pulled pulled them off. Especially the opening. And there was this great fake handheld fight scene. Yeah. Uh, there's so much There's so much David Fincher ridiculous digital stuff in there. Like this fight scene looks like it was all shot with hand with Handycam and it was actually shot with steady cam and dollies and then in post turned into handy cam. Classic. Of course.
1: Yeah, I think I really... <laughs> I'm Similar to you, I think I liked it the longer it went because I think it takes a while for it to land what type of movie it is. Right? And yeah. there are hints since the beginning but you're like, okay, do I take him seriously, the character, or not? And then I think towards the end is when I think I was able to put the links... the I was able to connect the dots and be like, oh, I think I get it, right? You start to realize that 90% of the dialogue, it's him in his mind. The second that you realize, I mean, I guess, spoiler for two minutes if somebody hasn't watched The Killer, so please leave, go two minutes to the front. The second that you realize that he's not that good at his job, mm-hmm. right? And how a lot of this is him believing that he is, even though he isn't. And since the beginning, literally the first thing that happens in the movie is he misses the shot. Right? Yep. But when what happens with the dog? What happens with uh, the lawyer? It's like, oh, it should last seven minutes. Shit. Or like just some of these things like, oh, yeah, he has six container, whatever, houses with all of this stuff. and You're like, oh, he must be very good. And you start to realize like, maybe he isn't. I think some of these things start to, I don't know, come into place. And I'm just very excited to watch it again because i thought it's interesting i think there were a couple of things that now reading about it and listening to podcasts about it i didn't catch like up front right some of the stuff about like mcdonald's and amazon and home people yes. great are... use of
0: modern brand
1: yeah and i don't know it was uh it has great lines right great lines Nobody wants to talk with a German tourist. Like there is just like some great stuff there and um, I can't wait to watch it again. I might download it to watch it on the on the plane or something. Thanks, Netflix. Watch it on my phone <laughs> in the plane like David Fincher intended.
0: I really hope that there's a way to listen to a director's commentary on the mm, film. Just because yeah. Fincher is a great commenter of his own work. But because he he takes a very sober view to it, he's one of those people that can never be fully happy with anything. And he's also very wry and funny and sarcastic as well. And I think that's something where I'll at least appreciate what he got out of this technically a little better. Uh, another random David Fincher overkill thing is the, the opening 20 minutes, which you alluded to, is kind of like Rear Window, where you're looking out a window uh, from the sniper's nest. And there's all these... You can see into all these apartments and all these buildings and everything. Apparently, any interior that you saw was shot on a soundstage. Oh. And then composited in post together. Just ridiculous. But but ultimately I think you're right. I, I think the film it has this like weirdly dated Dude Bro personality to it. In terms of the dialogue. I mean, Andrew Kevin Walker, Dude Bro King wrote it. But it's impossible to watch that and not also think there's going to be like a bit to this, right? And I, I think you're right that overall the mediocrity and the dogged pursuit of revenge and doing one thing here were kind of no, nothing besides not even personal gain, just like the satisfaction of having done it. And then it all resets at the end. Like I think it's a very existentially sad film. In the way yeah. that a lot of data's films are. I, I think I think
1: I do I did end up taking us. This guy does things a thousand times more complex than he needs to. Right. And it always backfires. That's kind of like he tries to do this thing and that thing and you know he has this and he changes the license plate with the thing and then you realize like why did he have to inject nails to this guy? why did he want to have the dog sleep and not die? Like, why on earth risk the dog waking up if you're going to kill the guy anyway? Why do you go see this other person in the restaurant? And I think it's him believing that he's better at his job than he actually is. And him trying to deal with what does that mean. And just being like, yeah, this is the struggle. this guy who thinks he's better than the job at his. And what are some of that? Or, I don't know.
0: And, I mean, there's lots of little things, like, I thought the the wife character or girlfriend character was, she's not even a character. She's, like, yeah. I don't think she even talks in the movie. I think a little bit, um, like in bed, when, when she's in the hospital. Yeah. Just, like, something where it's, like, that's, like, a bizarrely underwritten character. Not even for today, just generally. And it's something where I was kind of annoyed while watching it. But in hindsight, it's, like, huh, yeah, he's fighting for this life that... Doesn't really seem interesting or worth living. And is he
1: mad at then at everyone because they hurt her? Or because they went after him and he just wasn't there because he decided to stay in a hotel for an extra night. Anyway,
0: I'm excited to I'm excited to rewatch it again. Yeah. It the Holdover, The Holdovers and The Killer are the two films that as long as somebody is able to stomach a few F-bombs and or just standard action violence. Those are the two films from this year that I'm probably just going to recommend to pretty much any adult without reservations. Yeah. I They're think so. fun, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I just keep remembering things of like him making his life complicated, right? When he leaves the apartment of the first scene, he thinks people are following him. And everything is edited. And, and this is, I think, what clicked towards the end, that... The movie is edited from his perspective of making you want to think that he's better, right? When they are, when when he's escaping, the music and the cutting—they want you to feel like somebody is gonna get to him because that's probably how he wants to feel. But there is nobody
0: following him. It's a really good point. You know, like there is just so you many think... of these
1: points of like him trying, like he just showing like, oh, this is oh so, so difficult, and uh, you know, he looks at his watch and he's like i have to be under 60 and he's like this is like he wants to believe that he has this process and he's just anyway not that good i mean he's good right (laughs) he has these fights and he ends up killing everyone he wants to kill and whatever but i don't know i want
0: to i want to watch it again um you know who else does everything overkill for seemingly no reason david fincher david fincher (laughs) so he yeah. probably knows a thing or two about
1: this guy. Right, yeah. Like, all the all the difficult things he does, he's like, oh, I need, I can't open this door. I'm just going to go on Amazon and buy something that opens the door. Right? Like, all of these things ends up being, like, the dumbest. Like, totally. he, he has to figure out the timing on when exactly to walk into the lawyer's door and he waits all day for, like, a FedEx package. like, really? <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I just want to watch it again, kind of <laughs> with that perspective of, like, I want to analyze this guy and just double think everything that he's trying to do. But anyway, um, I have to go, but I have a very fast takeaway for you because next week is my wedding. Favorite wedding movies. And I can start with mine so that you think. Two that I really like, comedies, Uh, My Big Fat Great Wedding, one of my favorite Mm -hmm. movies as a kid. I love the the Windex joke. And then contemporary uh, Palm Springs. Is not as wedding-centric. It's kind of the setup. But I really enjoy Palm Springs and how it shows, like, the day and the planning and different parts, different perspectives of how to approach
0: a wedding and what it means for different people. What about you? Off, Off the top of my head, I only thought of one film. And it is wildly divergent from the two films you mentioned, which is Rachel Getting Married. You seen it? No. Uh... Quietly, maybe one of the best movies of the century. It's incredible. It's one of Anne Hathaway's earliest really meaty, dramatic roles. And she plays a woman who is... uh, She gets out of rehab to go to her sister's wedding. And you kind of, over the course of two hours, learn the family dynamics that have torn her and her family apart and really challenged them but just incredible performances front to back. It's Jonathan Demme, who is just a, an incredible filmmaker, but it's it's very, it's kind of a very laid back style throughout, kind of feels like he just places a camera places and lets interesting things happen. There's, it's it's the most twee wedding imaginable. It's like very, like, 08 hipster wedding. Okay, Really recommend it. I just add it to my list. But it is, it's funny. But funny in a way that makes you wince the whole time. Okay. That sounds good.
1: (laughs) Can't wait. Well, my friend, next time I talk to you, hopefully we'll be in person. No, hopefully we'll talk before. I want to see pictures from every day you have in Mexico before we actually see each other. Um, Yes,
0: sir. I will send you pictures. And we will be back in your ears. Uh, I'm going to delay posting this. You're... You're around the week after your wedding, right? Kind of. We have kind like of? a mini moon. We go to relax to
1: Cancun for four days
0: before coming back.
1: We'll be back in your ears at some point in early December.
0: How about that? There we go. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, our schedule is very fly by wire right now, but we will be back before the end of the year. For good reasons. Thank you so much, everyone. Thanks, Carl. And talk to you soon. Bye.